Why do you come to us? I just want to keep my family safe. Treat them as our brothers and sisters. Teach them our ways. Keep up, Forest Boy! If you want to live here, you have to ride. Let's do it. Just breathe. Breathe. That's all they see. I see. I'm a warrior like you, I'm supposed to fight. Protect the people. This weekend during the 70th Motion Picture Sound Editor's Golden Reel Awards, Supervising Sound Editor Gwendolyn Yates-Whittle will accept a Career Achievement Award, and she'll be only the third woman to do so. Based at Skywalker Sound in Northern California, she's worked on more than 120 films, including Minority Report, Munich, Iron Man, Jurassic World, Fight Club, and this season's Top Gun Maverick. She's currently Oscar-nominated for Avatar The Way of Water, and has two previous nominations, for James Cameron's original Avatar and Maverick director Joe Kaczynski's Tron Legacy. She'll also be reteaming with Kaczynski on his upcoming Formula One racing movie. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. So Gwen, congratulations on your Career Achievement Award, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very, very much. It's it's quite a humbling honor. So you will only be the third woman ever to receive the MPSE Career Achievement Award. Um, Kay Rose was the first to receive it in 1993, and CeCe Hall in 2020. Would you reflect on what this means to you? Wow. Uh, I knew C.C. Hall had gotten it. I didn't realize that I was only number three. Kay Rose is, um, I never met her. I, I, I met her daughter, but I, I know that, uh, I think when I started, first time I met George Lucas, he said to me, oh, are you the next Kay Rose? And I, I knew that was a uh, huge compliment that he even put me in the same sentence with her name. So that was, that was kind of cool. It's interesting because there's a lot of very qualified women out there. So I think that I, I I hope I'm, I'm representing them well and hoping to start uh, a trend of more women getting more recognition because there are, there are a lot of fantastic female sound editors out there. Um, Yeah. uh, We should be a bigger club. Do you see things changing? I think so. Um, I mean, I work at Skywalker Ranch and I know at Skywalker, they've made a very concerted effort to bring in people of vastly different backgrounds. There's a lot more um, 
a lot more women. I walked by, there's a room, it's sort of a conference room near my edit room. And I walked by it the other day and it was our head, head engineer, Steve Morris was there. And I think maybe 10 other people and they were all women. So that's a, that's actually a very, very nice ch- change. So it, it felt normal and natural and, and that's all really cool. And a lot of people of different cultures are also um, roaming the halls. Since I've, I, I was in New Zealand for a while and I came back and I've seen a lot of really positive right. change in that direction, which is really nice. Well, you've been at Skywalker for three decades. How did you get into the business and how did you find your way to Skywalker Sound? So I I, I started, I, I went to, I was a very antsy young person. I went to four universities in four years. I was an exchange student for a year. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I graduated from NYU. That was the last school I went to with a degree in, in film, BFA in film, which was great. And I was with my sister one night who was at, did her first year of grad school and I and we lived together. I was like, hey, do you want to stay in New York? What do you want to do? And they, we got out a, a, a map and a, and a bottle and we kind of bottle of wine and we kind of spun it around the closest place that it pointed to was San Francisco. So you'd think if you, you know, graduate from skill, film school, you'd go to LA or New York, but no, I came to San Francisco. So, because that's where the bottle pointed. And um, I was kind of lucky that um, I just happened to land in San Francisco right when a low-budget feature Smooth Talk, which was Laura Dern's first film, was shooting. So I got hired as an unpaid PA in the art department. And I overheard them saying that they needed an assistant sound ed- an assistant picture editor just in the office. I said, oh, I can do that. So I got that job and I didn't really know what I was doing, but they were very patient with me. And I learned very quickly and were very, it was, it was Patrick Dodd and Doug Murray, who's also nominated for an Academy Award this year on a different show, but it'll be nice to sort of be at all those things with him this year. Uh, so it was me and Doug and Patrick and uh, a guy named Mark Levinson, who's a wonderful man, but we were this tiny little crew and we did that. We did smooth talk and then I didn't really know how to get, because I only knew those people. I didn't quite know how to get another job. So I got the Hollywood Reporter because it's pre-computers and pre, <laughs> you know, it, it, that's what you did. So you got, you used the phone and the answering machine was a very cool new, uh, new uh, piece of equipment. So we had an answering machine and I just sent out just a ton of resumes and I didn't, and I just waited and I waited and waited and waited and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to drive myself crazy. So I said, tomorrow I'm going to leave the house for three hours. I'm going to go to a cup of tea. I've just got to get out of here. And when I came back, there were three messages on the answering machine. There were two to work in LIS picture assistance and one to work on Willow at the Ranch. So I said, well, I'm kind of lazy. I like it here. So I, I, I went to work at, on Willow at the Ranch. And that's how I ended up with Skywalker. So it's like a sliding doors moment. Because if I'd been home, I would have taken that first job, that call from LA. Total different life. Well, you have a remarkable uh, list of credits. And uh, your first Academy Award nomination was actually for Avatar. That's right. Take us back to when you were working on that first one. Um, you know, what, I mean, it was, it was like this latest one. It was so groundbreaking. What was it like to be working on it? And did you ever expect, you know, the movie to become what it is today? I think, you know, it was... Um... I mean, all all of Jim Cameron shows that they're 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 very intense and they're very um, there's always a lot going on. You've got a lot of facts, you got a lot of music, you got a lot of dialogue, you got a lot of stuff going, um, a lot of stuff to handle. And 
It was very, I remember when Chris Boys asked me to co-supervise with him and I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that. And I remember thinking this could, this could, at that point when he asked me, I thought this could be a career changing move. And so it was really kind of honored that he asked me to do that with him. And so while we were working on it, unlike this one, it was all very, the, the picture that we were working to, everyone was kind of either you just saw their faces with their with their mocap suits on, or it was very blocky. And sort of near the end of the final mix, it was like we were working down at Fox. He says, "You got to, you got to come to the other stage. You got to just look at this stuff because because you're going to finally understand why we're doing what we're doing." We're like, "We're so tired. We've been working really late. Been working seven days a week. And we're just like kind of grumpy and crabby." And we go to the theater to watch the scene, and we all went, "Oh." This is going to be the coolest thing ever. And it just kind of woke us all up. And it was just like, oh my God, this is really going to be amazing. But it wasn't really until that point because we just hadn't seen it. We didn't have the, the, it just wasn't available to us. And then they're like, oh yeah, this is going to be big. And it's the only, at, up until that point, I've never had the experience where after we wrapped it and it had been released and I'd go into restaurants and, and cafes and just people on the street everybody was talking about it. And I, I would never say anything. I've just listened to what they were saying. Oh, have you seen Avatar? Have you seen Avatar? And all the conversations were about how remarkable the film was. And that was really very, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and you got to return to Pandora more recently <laughs> yeah. for this one. And this is your third nomination now. Congratulations uh -huh. on that. Thank you very much. And in this one, there's a new world, the uh, the Reef Clan. The Met, and the Met Kaina, yeah. Yes, in their world, uh, the underwater, and uh, and you introduce a lot of new creatures in this one. So tell us about some of the work on Way of Water. Chris Boyes is our sound designer. He did most. Of, he did all of the creature design. I did help him with Payakan, uh, the main tulkun, and the 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 rebel teenage character Loak, and when they first meet, and the character Payakan, even though he's an aquatic mammal, had to have a he had to have a language that made sense that you could feel. Kind of like by R2D2. You understand R2D2, even though he doesn't he speaks in beeps and boops. So this aquatic creature had to have an aquatic language that could feel like it had a syntax. And so Chris and I, he Chris said, help me kind of take these effects and make make a make a syntax out of it. So I kind of did a, a pass on it. And then Dave Kratzka, the other effects editor, did a pass on it. We kind of tried to figure out who this character was and um then Chris thought, well, maybe he's he's an he's an angsty teenager. So I had teenage neighbors. So I just I, I did, couldn't show them any picture. I couldn't really tell them what was going on. But I kind of made up a story and explained them. Make up a language and just have a conversation with each other. So we recorded them. And it, we tried people. And the, it, it just kept feeling too human. So we went back to, Chris went back to the whales and the, the sort of the other sort of animals that he used for the sound design on that. And he gave those effects to Jim and then Jim put them into place. And that's how that kind of Jim and Chris kind of finessed it. But it was kind of cool to be able to do that for me because normally I only deal with words kind of thing. Um, this film was very big on breathing. So the forest people, they don't know how to breathe under the water. So when all the, when the, 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 the uh, Sully family goes, why they have to be struggling, they have to have 
big exhales and big inhales before and under and the, the reef people all they're all very calm and they can just kind of ease in and out of the water and as the uh Monokai get better at swimming they get better at the breathing and then all those long breaths and a lot of um a lot of sort of the extra ADR stuff that we did was about the breathing. Uh, the other thing that we did is all the stuff in the water was shot in a, well, a lot of it that was shot in a, a gigantic pool in Manhattan Beach. I think it was 30 feet deep. It was just, I think it took up the whole sense. It was just massive. But for the cameras to record the actors, they all had these plastic balls. So when the actors are talking and they're swimming around, it sounds like, they're in a pool full of plastic balls, which clearly is not really what you want. So we did um, we did some ADR for that, sort of traditional ADR. We also did a process, um, Julian Howarth, the uh, location course, did something called FPR, which is facial plate replacement. It was kind of like ADR that also involves their face. And he would just do that on the, on the set, sort of after the fact, and they recorded the whole thing. We also use this process, process called MAL, M-A-L, which they used on the Beatles Get Back series. So the people, the, my editors at Parkwood Post, Marty Kwok, my lead dialogue editor, and his partner, Emil, they worked for Peter Jackson. They they created this amazing process that you could take, you could give them this dialogue with those balls and, and the water in it, and it would separate the ball noise and the water noise in the dialogue and the dialogue was completely clean and you could have the if you wanted the ball noise you could have that completely clean or if they had if there were two people like there was a time where we did Sigourney Weaver's ADR and she was great and she was wrapped and she went off to I don't know France or she went far away she went someplace where it would have been very difficult to get her back and they changed the cut and the cut they used had a, a really big overlap between her and the character place took. So you couldn't pull apart. There were no alts with the same performances. So we gave this to the smell process and it pulled apart Sigourney's voice and Took's voice. And then you could, there's like, it was like, you could put them wherever you wanted. That was kind of magic. So that was kind of a cool thing to learn that was available. Um, what was it like working with uh, Sigourney Weaver and uh, seeing her play her 13-year-old Carrie? So... We we actually got to see a lot of very finished picture on this one as opposed to the first one. But every now and then there were these shots where they were in their mocap suit. And you see Zoe going up to Sigourney Weaver. And Sigourney Weaver is clearly much older than Zoe, but it, it, it worked. And they, 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 I mean, that's kind of the magic of the performance capture. She, Sigourney Weaver could be a 14 year old and you completely bought it. And just when she, became that character her voice naturally pitched up we didn't change it it was all her performance we didn't we didn't treat it at all but the first time you see her interacting with the other characters you're like oh wow but then you just fall into it and you believe it because her performances are so good which is kind of amazing a true testament to her skill and also zoe's skill and and um sam's skill that they they just they treated her like this 14 year old and 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 she was but it was kind of, it's kind of weird to see it at first did you have a favorite scene in this film? It's it's really, I really love the scene. I, I think, you know, it's kind of been played a lot, but where um, Loak first meets Payakon and they become friends and then they're swimming. You end up with the, with that shot of them from underneath and he's he's just holding his fin with his hand. And it's just like, this is, they found each other in this wonderful friendship. And it's just, it gives you, it's such a hopeful moment in the whole thing. So 
I mean, I don't know if it's a spoiler. I, I guess most people have already seen it, but um, yes. Zoe's, Zoe's performance when 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 uh, uh, Nataeum dies is just harrowing. I mean, I don't know if I'd like to watch it over and over and over, but I'm so impressed by her in that because again, that that's not ADR. That's all completely her, and she you can see that she turns into an animal, and she just turns into like she's not even a. a She's not a mother anymore. She's she's just uh, a fighting machine. And that transformation to me is pretty powerful. My favorite shot is still the one where he's holding onto the fin. That's a beautiful shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you worked with a lot of young actors for that too. How how were those ADR sessions? Did you record them together or? Uh, we did them all separately uh, because sometimes if you have them all together, they just kind of, again, if you have an overlap situation and then you have to, it's too hard to pull them apart. They were all... Kid actors are, are amazing. They're just phenomenal. They're they're so they've worked on it for so long. They knew their characters so well. They just kind of like, what do you need me to do? And half the time they were in their mocap suits because I would catch them when they came off the set, kind of thing. Um, and they every now and then they'd see pictures of themselves with the um, their mocap suits on the screen and took the the, the little girl um, Trinity Bliss. She was I don't think I don't know, six when she started and she was twelve when I worked with her. And she's like, oh, there's my baby fat. It was kind of it was kind of fun for them to see themselves when they were young. And the character Jack, I think he was twelve when they started, and so he was kind of sort of average kid size. So when I worked with him, he was six two. <laughs> I was kind of like. Whoa. So it, it's rare to work on a film that, that covers so much space and time with these characters, but they're all, they all loved working with Jim. They all loved working with each other. They, it was such a, you could really feel a connection between all of them, I think, because they had spent so much time together. Jim has said he'd like to pass the baton potentially for the final sequels. Uh, do you think that's realistic? Can anyone other than Jim Cameron direct these movies? Wow, it's a big question. Jim usually means what he says, but it's still hard to imagine. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, he definitely, he passed on the baton for the Terminator movies. He did that. He, he let other people direct those. I know he's got other things he wants to do. So he bit off a big, big chunk of stuff with these five movies. So I don't know. I can't, I'm not clairvoyant enough to be able to answer that, but I could see it either way. You also had a, a very big 2022. You also um, worked on Top Gun Maverick. I did. I started that and and then I had to, the, the schedule changed. So I had to leave. I think I, I went out to, I worked on Mulan just, and there was a big overlap. And then as everybody knows, the pandemic hit, and that changed everything again. And that, that film ended up finishing in London. So it, it, that was a very complicated show, but I've worked with Joe Kaczynski. I, you know, I got nominated for Tron Legacy, which was his film. I, I, I right. love working with Joe and I love working with Al Nelson, who's up, you know, up for, uh, for an Academy for, for Top Gun. My voice is also in Top Gun. I've got like 10, 10 lines in it. So, which is kind of fun. <laughs> Probably the one that sticks out the most is, uh, Dark Star, the runway and skies are yours. And that's when he takes up before you, he like blows over um, the guy's head and, you know, you know, gets completely rogue. So, yeah. So that's my line. My kid's like, oh, my God, that's you. So <laughs> That's great. And what is it like doing ADR with Tom Cruise? He is. I don't know if this is documented or not, but I'm pretty sure he's an autodidact. I see one of those people who um, has a, a, you know, a, a, a photographic memory, because I think. I think he probably watches the film a couple times and then it's memorized in his head because he doesn't look at 
cue sheets. He he knows what he's going to say, and he and he he's very good at it. His timing is phenomenal, and he uh, he's kind of a genius at it. There was one time on Oblivion where I think he didn't have time to. Um, it was a very early uh, a scene early on, and they had to have a bunch of fans on the set because there were black flies all over everything. So for it to work at all, we had to do the ADR early, and he didn't have time to memorize it. And for that scene, he was a little he was still very good, but he was a little bit more average. So I think he's got this this memory thing. He just has the, the whole film in his head, which is astonishing. Yeah, he's very very into his he he. he he studies the stuff and he knows every detail and he knows what he wants. And uh, he's uh, in some ways very similar to Cameron. Does he fiddle with the story in ADR? You know, I didn't, I only did one session with him on Top Gun. The other shows that I worked with him on, I worked with him on Oblivion. I worked with him Oblivion, on my, right. and Minority Report and um, uh, Mission Impossible with Brad Bird. So because those were other directors... I mean, he would have conversation with the directors, but he he was very respectful to them. I think Top Gun's different because it was this, he was very involved in the beginning of that. So, and also so much stuff has you know got the mask on, so you can change lines a lot because you can't right because there's, there's no sinks. That gives you a whole different. Like someone's got a veil on or a mask. Yeah, you can have them say anything. So, I, but I don't really know how that went down in, in the end. So. In addition to these films, you've worked on several films for the MCU. You've worked on uh, Indiana Jones, Star Wars. Do you have a favorite franchise that you worked on and why? I mean, I love Indiana, Indiana Jones. How can you not love Harrison Ford? I mean, it's just <laughs> also because of kind of my age. It's when I, I kind of grew up with, with Indiana Jones. At first, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I was a high school when that came out, and it was such a breath of fresh air for action films. It was kind of this, you know, you start with this boulder running in, you know, running him down. And so, uh, and, but actually Star Wars was at the same time, but I'm bizarrely, I'm less of a sci-fi girl. So I think that Indiana Jones is a little bit more grounded, just more, more my thing, even though I work on a lot of sci-fi clearly, but it's like, given the choice, give me, give, give me something that's a little bit more plausible. Not that Indiana Jones is plausible because it's not, but you know what I mean. It must be interesting just walking down the halls at Skywalker and knowing uh, Dial of Destiny was being worked on and I guess Mandalorian and other things like that. It's also really cool just because, you know, Ben Burt works here and Randy Tom works here and Gary Rydstrom works here and Chris Boys work here. And it's like these sort of titans of sound. They're actually my colleagues and my friend. And that's kind of, I remember it's like, oh, it's kind of cool. These these people are just they're just they're just the people I work with, and they're top of the heap, and that's pretty pretty kind of goosebumpy. What are some of the things that you've learned from working with them? Just so many things. I mean, you know, uh, one thing that Gary Rydstrom told I was working with him on um, Mission Impossible, and we were doing a spotting session with Brad Bird and. He asked Brad a question. I was like, oh my God, that's such a great way to say it. He said, Brad, how in your mind, how can we help you tell the story with sound? I was like, oh. So that's how we got Brad to talk about what he Brad was hearing in his head. And he also taught me that you, it's really, you have to know your patient. So the more you know about the people you're working with, it helps you tailor your questions and, and your work style to 
make them comfortable because that's our job is to help. It's the, they're the directors, so you're helping them make their movie. It's like, oh, got to know your patient. Got to know what, what what makes them tick, and you know, do they want someone to talk to them a lot, or do you want to just sit there and take notes and all that stuff? All that stuff matters. You know, they, you got to not take it too seriously. You got to always add some, the more humor you add to the situation, the better everyone work everyone's work is to keep the stress level down that's an important thing to learn randy tom was very good at that so he's cracking a joke at the right time richard hymns is a genius at that so keep just you know break you know add levity keep the keep the levity there like randy you've also worked on a lot of animated movies I love the the Blue Sky people, the Ice Age movies and the Rio movies. They uh, was kind of sad when Blue Sky kind of closed its shop, but they were fantastic, wonderful, wonderful people to work with. I just Carlos Saldana and uh, just collaborative and inclusive and open. They they I, they they were great. The Rio movies were so much fun. We got to go to Rio for the premiere, which was really very 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 fun. Yeah, they projected it onto a building on the beach in Rio, which is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. it was pretty, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Animation is, is unique in that obviously there's no production sound. So you're really creating the entire world. Um, is that a process that you enjoy and how do you approach that? Uh, it's, again, it's harder for the effects people because they have, there's no, there's no track there. As far as Dala goes, it's actually really nice because everything is so cleanly well 99 percent of the time the dialogue is so cleanly recorded it's not like working on production where you're dealing with bands and traffic and people and footsteps and plywood and birds and planes and all that kind of which is sort of your normal production stuff or water or distortion that kind of thing animation i really like it because you get into the absolute nuance of an s of an f of a the, 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 the syllabic precision appeals to me greatly in in, um, in animation. You can just put stuff together. It's like, can you just maybe make him go up there? It's like, you could go mind through all this stuff. You can make him go up in that word, just in that little syllable. That's kind of like the minutia of it is, is very satisfying to me. What is next on your plate? I'm working on a series for Hulu called, I don't, it's not going to keep this name, but right now it's called Retreat, which is a very cool, um, computer geeky murder mystery thing and then after that i'm going to work on an animation show in the fall and then after that i'm going to do uh f1 with joe kaczynski and l which will be very fun it's a pretty amazing thing because they're going to use the real races which is again so the the, the logistics of that the complication how to get what we need from all it it'll be It'll be really fun and definitely stretch sort of my my uh, technical abilities into this whole other thing. The way those F1 races are recorded and they, they spit them, I mean, it's, it's kind of this amazing machine unto itself and we have to fit ourselves into that machine. So the sound team will be recording the race in uh, Las Vegas next fall, I would imagine that means? I think, I don't know. There's a couple of them that they're going to be recording they're kind of all over the world i mean that that, the f1 you know if you watch that the the netflix show that'll tell you exactly they go all over the place and i think there's five or six that are um going to be part of the film so there's one in florida there's one in budapest um but I, i don't know that for a fact when you return to the mcu is there a particular character that 
you would like to. I with. love Captain Marvel. I love Brie Larson. I loved working with her, and so I would happily, I would happily do another a show with um with Brie. I also loved working with Matt Shackman on WandaVision. I thought WandaVision was so charming. Um, I did. I I, I love that show. So I I would happily work with any of those again. Going back to my first question, um, I'm sure there are a lot of women now looking up to you as a role model. What would you say to a young woman who's looking to start a career in sound? I mean, when I started, it's so different than what it is now. So sort of the advice of how to get into the business, it doesn't, because again, you have to know Pro Tools, you have to know your computer stuff, which which I learned on the job, thank God. I mean, in many ways, I'm not really qualified to do my job right now. (laughs) Okay. I have I have a very excellent support team. Um I think you have to be you have to be audacious, you have to be brave, you have to be tenacious. You have to just keep your ears open and listen. I mean, even if you're not working, listen to how the world sounds, listen to how you sit in a sit in a hotel and, and listen to the lobby and listen to the doors and listen to the, the way that people's voices are around you or even just walking down the street. I'm my husband actually makes fun of me because whenever we're out in a restaurant or something, he also always knows I'm eavesdropping on the other conversations, just picking up snippets. I mean, listen how the cadence of people talk kind of because sometimes I write them down, <laughs> like, oh, that was a good one. I'll use that loop group kind of thing. Um <laughs> be aware of, of the world around you. You know, don't take your earbuds out. And listen. And um, if you're at the beach, there's all sorts of different kinds of waves, and the, the, the way they sound, the way they overlap, and you don't hear all of them, but you hear some of them, depending on anywhere. You just sort of pay attention so that when you do, when you're in there and you're asked to, you know, do weigh a water, you'll know. It's like, okay, I remember that. I remember the wave here. I remember the way there. And then if you're underwater, it's lower. Remember how the the birds you hear. Um, the birds you don't like to hear, but, but never, never, you know, don't put anything annoying in there, like stupid mockingbirds or something like that. Love mockingbirds, but you know, they get annoying. Um, uh, so, so just listen and talk to people and you will always want to work with people that are capable and are, that are, that are pleasant to be around. You don't, you don't want to be grumpy. So try and keep the negativity to a minimum. I mean, yes, sometimes of course you do have to, Okay, they changed it again. But um, for the most part, oh, look, we have another chance to make it good. We can make it great. So try and keep your spirits up and, and just be tenacious. Great advice. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. And congratulations on your Oscar nomination and your Career Achievement Award. Thank you so much. 